Listeners, welcome to another episode of Hey Hey NWA with Peyton and Zach. Zach. That's Zach. This week, we get to interview Jared Sears, who's actually a pretty good friend of ours, about the Narrative Network. Now, the Narrative Network is a system of Christian house churches mm-hmm. in Northwest Arkansas, broadly. And Zach and I have actually been a part of Narrative for a good amount of time. Yeah, peeling back the curtain here. We don't often do this, but peeling back the curtain. Yeah, we're a part of Narrative um, and a part of Jared's House Church. And actually, this is, if you've been a listener to the show very long, um, you will you might have heard Jared's name before, and that's because Peyton and I met at Jared's house one morning, one Sunday morning over breakfast tacos and interacting with strangers and whatever but well in specifically on that morning i think the the most important part was whenever zach was talking about something serious deacon ran in one of jared's children and just completely off guard shot zach in the forehead with a nerf gun (laughs) apropos of nothing that was my first experience with the Narrative Network. Chaos Reigns. Yes. So that's where Zach and I met, and this podcast was birthed out of that connection and meeting space. Yeah. And Jared and um, other parts of Narrative have been really helpful in helping us shape the podcast and in networking just overall. So mm-hmm. we're really happy to feature Jared. It's been a long time coming, but... We're excited to talk about narrative and talk with Jared and be able to highlight the work that he and others do in narrative. Yeah, for sure. So listeners, we'll see you on the other side where we have another Ozark superstition. Zach, do you want to give a little teaser into what that might be? Yeah. If you're not interested in becoming part of the Christian narrative network, then you might be interested in becoming part of the sinister sisterhood. We'll tell you how to become a witch. After we get done with Jared. I'm excited to hear whatever (laughs) this is on the other side. So anyway, listen to Jared and learn more about narrative. And we will see you on the other side side of the interview. Hey, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Hey, Hey, NWA. We're sitting in Peyton's studio um, with our buddy Jared Sears. Hey, hey. If you uh, if you are a longtime listener of the show, you've heard Jared's name before, um, because Jared, um, as you probably heard in the intro, introduced Peyton and I way way back <laughs> in your living room one Sunday morning. But uh, Jared, could you tell us um, what it is you do and why in the world we're talking to you of all people? <laughs> That's an amazing question. I don't know. Um, yeah, so. I used to be on staff. Well, let me back up. I was uh, raised in Bentonville. Been here my whole life since kindergarten. Uh, Graduated here, um, left for school for a few years, came back here. And my whole life direction has really been ministry. So 
full-time ministry. And so I was a youth pastor and, um, and then a worship pastor and then an arts pastor. You're moving. I mean, you're moving through the church. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 how yeah, yeah, exactly. How ever, nobody ever stays in youth ministry. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, that's always a great stepping stone, <laughs> but, um, so, but, um, that, that's just kind of the trajectory of my life. And then all of a sudden everything just kind of blew up when the city changed from, you know, <clears throat> cookie cutter, white suburban, um, and there was just diversity in art and all everything that was happening that was uh, different than everything that I'd ever known growing up here. And so when that happened, I felt this shift in my heart for a different kind of um, people who had never lived in Bentonville, Arkansas before, that I believe um, need to know the good news of Jesus. Uh, that's my faith. And um, also, I was just really excited to get involved in it outside kind of the church walls. Mm-hmm. So the really, really, really short story is um, I left to start something called Narrative. Narrative is a network that services micro churches. I'm sure we'll talk about what that means um, and uh, empowers people to start things that are good news for the city. And then alongside that, I also work at Bike Rack brewing company in Bentonville and um I do their events for them. And so I just kind of have like two quasi full-time jobs, but I call it bivocational mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh as well as my wife and four kids and that's one of my favorite jobs. So, yeah. So let's go ahead and dive into what is a micro church. Yeah. How would you define that versus a regular church and how What's the focus of a microchurch versus what would be the focus of just a regular church? Yeah. In this conversation, it gets really easy to start kind of pitting one against the other. And I, I want to be really careful of that because the church is a people. It's not a building. It's not a name. It's not a brand. And people are messy. And so there's not this like perfect way to do these things. And so we're not out here saying like, hey, we're doing it right. And like the big church is wrong. And, you know. Um, but a micro church is, um, a smaller, of course the word micro is smaller expression of people who are following Jesus together, or at least interested in just having that conversation. They want to, they, they'll be a part of this and is fluid and diverse and can go to kind of the margins of maybe society to the outcast, to the hurting. And it's not like a, Hey, come to us and we don't have full-time staff and we don't have big programs. It's just mostly they meet in homes or they might meet in breweries or they might meet anywhere, but it's just the smaller expression that, um, is very, um, centered on the people and, um, equipping every person, not just professionals, not just quote unquote clergy, but equipping every person to do ministry and to live that out. And when you say, when you say do ministry, what do you mean by do ministry Yeah, as a normal person, you know, not paid to do it or whatever? What yeah, is that? Yeah. Well, mean? it's giving them the catalog to buy the appropriate robe and, <laughs> um, yep. No, it's, um, when I say ministry, ministry is just seeing a need and meeting a need. Okay. So it is helping people be aware that their job Um, so the Bible says that every person that follows Jesus now has the power of his spirit in them and they can do everything that 
Jesus was ever able to do that. We can carry that out. So we don't have to rely on a few professional, I'm using my air quotes here, professional ministers, but that that's give that responsibility has been given to every single believer in Jesus. So it's helping people realize, Hey, you see needs where you live and where you work and where you play. It's your job to be a part of the solution to those needs. So that's what I mean by everybody's doing ministry. Hmm. And not just, not just compelled to do that, but maybe like instructed or like, yeah. What kind of vocabulary would you have around that? Around equipping, I guess is Mm -hmm. equipping kind of the word. Mm -hmm. I I keep on latching onto that. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it's really easy to say, Hey, go do this. And then everybody's just like, I have no idea what, you know, to do. And so that's part of the solution that we see that narrative can kind of step in as a network, as a resource can step in and help and say, Hey, recognize who's hurting, what's broken around you. Where is it dark that needs light? And as you recognize that we can come alongside you and help you say, okay, how can we start something that can serve this need? And maybe that grows into a nonprofit. Maybe as you start seeing people gather together um, in the name of Jesus and under that banner that, oh, all of a sudden you have started a church. Because what are you going to do with these people that say, hey, I want what you have and um, are following Jesus? Well, you've, you've got to baptize them. You've got to you know, start discipling them. All of a sudden you've got a church on your hands. And it didn't require all the money that it usually costs to start a church, um, or all the professional, you know, models or whatever. How do you, or can you give us an example perhaps of a, you know, it's easy to speak in like theoretical terms of like recognizing darkness and bringing light. Can you give us like a example of what you're talking about? Like that's grounded, you know, what do you mean? Like, give us a real life example of like, there is brokenness here and how would a network like narrative help address a specific issue going on in Northwest Arkansas? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's injustice that's like in your face and then there's injustice that is more hidden. Mm -hmm. Um, and we have a lot of people in narrative that are involved in the service industry we have a lot of people in narrative that are part of the music and, and art industry. And, uh, you know, one of the injustices, a couple of the injustices that, that we've kind of recognized in Bentonville. And I think most people that open their eyes up, see that is that Bentonville wants art, but there are things that Bentonville is saying that's saying, we don't want artists. Hmm. You know, there's no place for an artist to live. It's, it's too expensive, you know, to live here. And artists are, um, you know, can be a, um, finicky, uh, difficult, not cookie cutter, you know, kind of person. And so, um, it's just hard to build a community around artists and to serve artists. And so I I feel like that, that they're a little bit marginalized. We kind of want them for what they do, but not for who they are. Right. Mm. Um, at least that's been my experience. I would say the same thing with the service industry, like culinary is a big deal in Bentonville but they can't live here. So it's like, Hey, you know, come and, and, um, serve and we want you here to work here, but you've got to go live in Rogers or you've got to go live, 
you know, somewhere else outside the city that's, that's more affordable and things like that. So that's just, that's just a couple of the injustices that we've seen. That's a little bit more hidden. And we have people that are very passionate about, you know, um, going into the service industry, going to artists and saying, Hey, let us help you, you know, do what you do. That was something that I kind of realized working at bike rack was like, man, um, talk about, talk about the normal expression of the church is just kind of a Sunday morning thing. Um, we got to have opportunities for the service industry because they're working on Sundays to be a part of, you know, the church as well. Mm -hmm. So, so one of the things that, um, our micro church is a part of is, um, we have a, this garden that we've kind of taken over in the Peddler's Pub parking lot. And we're still like struggling with what to do with this. Cause it's just, it's not laid out for us, but we, we want to see that garden to be good news for food insecure families in Northwest Arkansas. And so narrative as a whole have had some people that say, Hey, I'm interested in starting these gardens for families. And so we have three gardens at restoration village. We have the garden at peddlers pub. Um, the boys and girls clubs come to us and say, Hey, we have some gardens that we need some help with. And so recognizing, Hey, there is, there are families who are truly hungry. They're food insecure and we can help them with healthy food. And we can also help them in preparing and cooking and kind of changing the trajectory of the way that they eat as a family. But that's, that's, it's more than just what they eat. It is, that is a very spiritual thing too. We are helping them connect to you know, uh, the creator that has given us, you know, um, everything that we need. And, uh, so we want to build relationships with those people. And so, um, poverty is something that we're trying to understand as uh, a network, as a narrative family. Um, and so anyway, we're just getting started in this thing. Well, and I like that all the examples you gave were not your typical, extreme examples of yeah. darkness and light. It's not like we are ending, you know, world hunger or, you know, <laughs> anything, anything Sweet. huge and monumental. It is very local and very community focused. And I think that's very interesting because you're, you're moving your population of participants in narrative and you're moving them to shift to a more community focused thing rather than just maybe donate my money to a larger organization, which could help, but it is individually community focused. Yeah. So how do you, how do you go about finding those local needs? Cause I can imagine it would be very difficult Yeah. rather than just looking on a society basis. Yeah. It is, it, it comes from the, the people. So, you know, a, a traditional church structure, and again, I don't use that in a negative term, but it, in a traditional church structure, there is, for the most part, kind of a, a staff that says, this is what our church is going to be a part of, and they find these needs, and they just kind of ask people to, like, sign up and, and fill the voids, fill those gaps. But what we're doing is we're saying, hey, no, you're the one that's sent out there. We don't know what you see. We don't know what needs there are out there that you see. So how can you open up your eyes to that? And then us as a network for you, empower you financially, empower you with training, with coaching, walking alongside, helping you strategically think through that stuff. And so there's needs everywhere and they can become so overwhelming. But if we will just individually recognize that, hey, I have good news. It's my responsibility actually to make, to bring heaven to earth. 
um, then even in just in the small stuff, the things that seem insignificant, those things matter. Those people matter. And if you, you can't, you can't, you won't have to find, spend a lot of time researching Jesus to find out that he went to these very insignificant people in insignificant situations and brought them good news. He wasn't the bullhorn guy. He wasn't the guy that came and, you know, stood up on top of the, the castle and said, here I am. He was the guy that went to the hurting, the sick, the lonely, and the broken. And uh, so those needs that come up come from the, our people because they have the responsibility to say, who is hurting around me and how can I help with that? Yeah, I think it's neat because it takes that structure of like a top-down sort of dissemination Mm -hmm. of here's what we need from you as a population or a church. Um, And it inverts it, democratizes it in a way that, you know, suddenly, as you said, the, the system in place is not to tell you where to go. It's there to give you opportunity or resource to reach out to the things that you personally care about. It is an interesting way to invert, you know, that, that structure. Yeah. Um, And, and it's (laughs) culturally speaking, um, it, we, we are having a harder and harder time with um, respecting authority or trusting authority. And so this sounds very, um, convenient for the times, you know, and very like, this is the fad. Let's just all do this ourselves and not rely on, you know, whatever. Um, so that is always something you have to be leery about, but it is very clear in scripture that there is no line between what the church would call clergy professionals who are called to ministry and laity, the everybody else, right? but that we're all called to essentially be clergy. Like we're mm-hmm. all called to do that. How did we get to the point kind of in a community or in a society where we have, I guess, depended more on an external structure than on, I guess, our own organization and own action? Yeah. Yeah. Man, there's a lot there in history to unpack, but, um, Man, early on in in even uh, the Old Testament in the Bible, um, God was telling his people, like, I'm here and I'm enough for you. But his people kept saying, oh, we want a king. We want somebody that, that we can see, that we can serve, and that can tell us what to do. And God's just like, come on, I'm here. And they're like, no, that's not enough. And so I just think all throughout history, we um, we as people just, we we don't understand that we have the responsibility. We, it's our job to do the work. It's not someone else's that, you know, and, um, you know, I think that the church has to be really careful about creating institutions, creating opportunities for big salaries. And, you know, um, you go to school to be a professional and it's just kind of this, I don't know, man, like industrial revolution, cookie cutter, you know, read a book. I know how to do this franchising kind of thing. And I don't believe it was ever supposed to be that, you know? Um, so just a little bit of biblical background is, you know, in the old Testament, 
before Jesus came and he left us his spirit, God did assign priests and kings to do the job of walking up to the top of the mountain, hearing from God, and then coming back from the top of the mountain telling everybody what God said. But, but Jesus came to give that to everyone, not just a select few, everyone. And when he left earth, after he was crucified and resurrected, they, it says the veil was torn and that separation between every person, no matter your race, no matter your sexuality, no matter your um, wealth, everybody, no matter your gender, no matter what, we all have access to the goodness of God. And so we are all called to distribute that. We should be good news people. Um, we shouldn't just expect and rely on a few people to be that good news for us. Well, I think, I mean, I feel within myself often, it's much easier to like contribute to a system and yeah. not try to create something sure. new just because it's already there. Like, I think it's in human nature to step in line and not go out of the way to like make something new. I get that for sure. Yep. Like if we can just pay into a system that's already there, yep. like that's much easier um, to just hand somebody your cash or it is time even um, than it is to like take on responsibility for oneself yeah. um, and engage, which is why like the work that narrative does and maybe expects of the people involved is like hard work. It's like, dude, it's, it's hard work. Simple. <laughs> my granddad, uh, be because he didn't know what to do with me when my parents would drop me off, he would just take me out to a field uh -huh. and say, pick up rocks, kid. <laughs> have, you, have you guys ever picked up rocks? Not professionally. No. <laughs> <laughs> It sucks because there's always more rocks. Like you're never finished, right? Hmm. And it feels like that's what we've been doing for two and a half years is that there is this vast field and, and all we've just kind of been trying to do is pick up rocks. Like there's this analogy in the Bible about a farmer scattering seed and if that seed lands in rich fertile soil and something grows or if it just lands on the path and nothing happens or if it lands amongst thorns and it gets choked out. I don't even think I'm to that yet before seed can even really be scattered. And by seed, I mean just like the good news of Jesus. Um, we just have to get rocks out of the way. And mm -hmm. I, I think that, listen, I, I have grown up in the church. I love her. The Bible calls the church, the bride of Christ, right? And Jesus calls his bride or recognizes his bride is like a prostitute in that she gives herself over to things that aren't him. Right, we cheat on on him often, but still Jesus loves the bride. Like that's that's the good news, right? And uh, and so I love the bride um, so much. I love the church, even in her messiness. But there's been a lot of rocks thrown out there. Like there's been a lot of stuff that people is just keeping people from even wanting to hear about the good news of Jesus. And so um, I feel like I'm just picking up rocks, man. What are those rocks? Like <laughs> what? I mean, when you say rocks, yeah. like. What are the rocks that? Well, if you if you follow Jesus, you have to be a Republican. <laughs> Great. I mean, you know, you know, uh -huh. um, if uh, you know, it, to be a Christian means you can't talk this certain way, or you can't dress this certain way, or again, it, you can kind of like have this feeling that it's like 
you know, um, uh, it's, it's a social class thing. Um, it's, there's big buildings and lots of money being put into, you know, the facilities. And, um, I think the church has to repent of those things. I really do think we have to say, Hey, um, we made a mistake. And, and sometimes it's all it takes. Like sometimes the best thing is just to say, you know what? We made a mistake and we're sorry and start over. And, and so I don't feel like we're just picking up rocks for what the other church has done and you know, mm-hmm. all of this. I mean, I just think we're just getting obstacles out of people's way um, that either were made by the local church or made by the news media or just their preconceived notions of what Christianity is. And, um, be able to have conversations, man. And those conversations are so, so important. Like not being, not using your bullhorn, not hitting people over the head with some message and forcing some kind of dogma or whatever down people's throats, but to say, I love you no matter what you look like, act like, believe in, I love you because you are made in the image of God and I want to tell you, you know, good news. I want to serve you. What kind of support have you seen in in picking up rocks, in loving everybody? I guess I don't know. <laughs> what kind of what kind of response have you seen? I guess whether it be from uh, those outside of the faith or inside of the faith. What kind of response have you seen? Yeah. Um. Man, the church that I came from, they've, they have been really supportive. Like they've, they've helped, um, a lot and, um, you know, that's, that's been really great. Um, it's been really cool to see, I I really haven't had much resistance. Um, we've had, I've had a lot of, I have a lot of relationships here with other pastors and things. And, you know, um, there's a thing with Bentonville that people want to help people. I just see that. It's like this, oh, cool, you're doing this thing. I know this other guy that's doing this thing. You sh- you guys should get together and have this conversation. And um, and so I, I've seen pastors and churches like want to serve each other and help each other. Um, and so I, it's been great. And, um, uh, you know, going, working at, at Bike Rack um, has been amazing because you know, I kind of thought I'd be bringing God into the room. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> here he is in my pocket and I'm going to take him out here on the table and, you know, but like God's already at work, like in those people, like these beautiful people that like are disregarded maybe by most churches. Um, and just to, just to be able to go to them and, and understand them and befriend them. Um, you know, it's the idea of, a micro church, a smaller expression of the church has been a, I think that's been a refreshing thing for a lot of people. When I, you mentioned Bentonville being such like a warm, yeah, you kind of smirked. I kinda smirked kinda because I wonder knowing you, Jared, I wonder if that's just your lens <laughs> of people in the world. Uh, because when I think about you, I think, Okay, narrative network. Yeah. And I think, okay, event guy at bike rack. Uh Jared is doing 
exactly what he wants to do, which is getting people in the same room and getting them to have conversations and hang out. I mean, when I think about... Whether it's beer or Jesus, whether, they're coming to the room. I mean, events at all. Yeah. Event planning is, yeah. you know, trying to entice many people into one room and get them to yeah. interact um, around something. When you talk about narrative, of course, it's um, getting people in a room with a diverse set of skills or resources and connecting them in such a way that you see good work come out of that, you know, a <laughs> ministry, as you called it, mm. being born out of this interaction of people who aren't normally together, <laughs> you know? Um, so I just think it, I smirk. Are you counseling me right now? I'm not like counseling. You're like telling me my life story. I feel like you're connecting dots I've never seen before, Zach. <laughs> Keep going. I'm going to owe you 100 bucks for the time. Ooh, perfect. I love it. Uh, <laughs> this podcast no. doesn't fund itself. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, anyway. We got sponsor spots open. Yeah. Um, no, I just, I see that in you because it just makes so much sense to me. So when you, hmm. I smirk because I'm like, that's just the lens that Jared sees the world <laughs> through because he is proactive about connecting people to have conversations who would not normally be in the same space. Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah, man. And maybe that's true. And maybe there's a lot that I'm, I'm not seeing, but also I don't live in Bentonville. So like <laughs> I don't work here. I don't live here. I play here from time yeah. to time. Um, I've heard other people that even in the corporate world that, um, you know, travel all over the country and they just say there really is something different about Bentonville and that you, other people want to help people. And, um, you know, I don't have time for, and there's no room for those who don't want to help others and those who are just kind of going after their own thing and, you know, using people. I know that's happening, but man, there's just something about like having that's a spirit of humility and a spirit of like grace that breaks down all those barriers and those walls and just allows everyone to come to the table because we're all, we're all broken. We're all in need and to have important conversations and to be heard and to be valued, you know? So I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit like pie in the sky. I can totally understand that. So, so you are from here, you grew up in Bentonville, yeah. this is your home. Yeah. How much of that do you think is attributed to your ability to network and connect people yeah. versus maybe somebody from the outside like us uh, kind of getting those connections? I guess what advice would you give to people that are trying to network but maybe don't have long-term yeah. roots here? Yeah, man, that's really good. Um, you know, something for the artist specifically. I'm really, I know I'm really narrowing down a, a broader question that you asked, but you know, show up to other people's things, you know, um, mm. don't, don't just, I mean, you're a part of the community. So if you're, if you're a part of a community and you really want to see the arts go and you really, and, and you don't want to feel so like siloed, like kind of off here by yourself, go support somebody else, like go to, to other, to other people's things. Um, and so I, I've been thinking about that for the artist, but just, yeah, in general, I think that's the answer to that question is, and, and you two are, Hey, NWA and you two just individually, like, it's not just a podcast thing. Like you guys very passionately 
want to know what's happening in Northwest Arkansas and like be a part of these important conversations. So um, just just follow Peyton on Facebook, see what he's interested in, <laughs> <laughs> and show up. You know, show up to those things. Um, so I, I think that's I think that's one of the most important things. I, I'm there's a lot of stuff I want to go do. You know, and there's only so much time that I have. Um, but um, uh, fortunately, my job at Bike Rack thrusts me into like conversations and different organizations that are doing really good things for the city and different people and getting to meet them. And uh, so I just, man, just make the time to go and plug yourself into places that maybe you normally wouldn't. Maybe that's outside of your tribe. And just go be a part of the conversations that are happening. I think that's such a, like, I guess we were talking about this the other day, Peyton, even the difficulty of wrangling people out of their comfort zones. Um, Because I I wrestle with it too. You know, it's much easier for me to go, you know, this is maybe a strange parallel, but Mm. it's much easier for me to go to Slim's again than it is for (laughs) me to like, go try the new hot dog cart that's yeah. around the corner from my work and trying to wrangle people off their couches. I mean, just away from Netflix for one, but then, you know, getting them out the door and then getting them into spaces that they wouldn't normally participate in or, um, aren't already connected to is like tough. Cause yeah. you, there's an ease of, continuing to exist in the same spaces because it's comfortable because I know when I first showed up, I had had to network because I didn't have any friends and I had to go find spaces to make friends. Um, and that movement toward like different or outside your tribe, as you mentioned, is a tough move, like trying to show up somewhere and, have conversation with people and some oh, people dude. just aren't like that. Some people aren't extroverts. Yeah, that's know? true. And I have to, you have to be careful. Like, yeah, there's so, yeah, there's different, <laughs> even I, listen, I'm saying this, but I, I walked into a surprise birthday party in the upstairs of Gasanos and Rogers just a couple nights ago and walked up and looked around the room of 40 people. Didn't see a single soul that I knew and walked right back out, left my presence <laughs> And left because I just didn't want to like have those conversations, you know, and Mm. that's rare for me, but yeah, man, it's, it's hard. Well, and there's, there can also be the roadblock of just having a family. So Netflix is more of a challenge for me, single people. Oh yeah. I never watched Netflix, (laughs) (laughs) but those with competing uh, parts of their lives that yeah. they really have responsibility for, whether whether it be work or family. I guess, what kind of challenge would you give to those that do have important responsibilities yeah. in order for them to get involved in the community? What kind of challenges or what kind of ways of thinking of yep. the community would you give? Yep. And speaking as someone with plenty of experience <laughs> in this particular field, having four kids. Yes, yes, I have four little minions. Um you know, uh, I think, I think I know the I know the question you're asking, but um, something that maybe this will help answer the question. Something that my wife and I have just we have conversations over and over and over about is 
um, just take advantage of the season that you're in. Um, hmm. So I, I work at a brewery, um, and having four kids and working at a brewery, it's there's not a lot of times those things those two things like go together, right? So um, it's hard. Like it's it's kind of outside of the season that we're in for me to be there and do that. Um, so that's difficult. But what I mean by by like taking advantage of the season that you're in is I have four kids. They're in sports. They have a school that they go to. So they're already making friends. And those friends are coming over to our house. Their parents are dropping them off at, at our house for parties or vice versa. And so I already have this kind of like built-in opportunity to like build relationships with these people. Mm -hmm. So so just take advantage of that. Just kind of look around and just say like, I live by somebody. Let me just go have this conversation. Instead of going and trying to find a tribe, recognize that you're already kind of surrounded by a tribe. It's already there. Um, so again, back to Netflix, it's just so very easy to just kind of shut yourself off and you've got, you've got work. I'm going to do work. I'm going to clock in, clock out, leave, come home, you know, repeat. I have a tribe at work. I sit by people. They have stories that, I mean, our, our name is narrative. And from the very beginning, we just kind of said, we want to help people rewrite the narrative of what it means to be human, like to recognize that humanity, every, we all have stories. There's a story that we're all writing and is being written in our lives. And our faith believes that God is this author. He's going to, he started it and he's going to finish that story in us. But regardless if you believe that or not, everybody's got a story. So just ask, you know, so I don't know. Does that help answer your question? Of, yeah, because okay. it, it goes behind the question. It yeah. says, Hey, what already exists versus what do I need to seek out? Yeah. So yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And then I think, correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like then once you hear those stories, you start to understand like, Oh, my friends who are servers are unable to afford housing in Bentonville. Right. And I would have never known that had I not taken yeah. the opportunity to listen to my bartender yeah. or my waiter or whoever it is yes. um, in these spaces you already run around in, just having the attention to look around at the people who you're around and listen. You'll, you'll never see past skin color or gender or social economic class or whatever. If you're not willing to, to hear people's stories. Sure. It, it's just, it's that, it's just that simple, you know? And so if we just, it's easy to surround ourselves with whatever I am. And that's the, that's the tribe that I hang out with. And then you just have a very limited perspective on the world and on the needs of humanity and what really is good for the city. I don't know. I know what's good for my, you know, social club that I hang out with and that's all I know. And, um, you know, so I just, yeah, I just think it's important to, to step out of that stuff, you know, mm -hmm. and to have those hard conversations. All right. Kind of shifting gears a little bit. We've talked generally about narrative and its mission, and its purpose, and then community involvement from a broad perspective. But could you dive into some of the specifics of what's happening at narrative right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, hopefully I've been clear about narrative. Um, you two know really well that when I start to kind of talk about something, I can ramble <laughs> for, 
very easily. Peyton often asks me to start over and uh, re-clarify, but very simply, narrative is a network that serves to equip and empower, really, um, people who have dreams and people who are ready to do something um, to go and be good news for the city. And that ends up being smaller expressions of the church. So we're a network for micro churches, but it kind of starts before that. We want to help empower every person. So we've been going for about two and a half years and uh, we have six micro churches right now. So adults and kids, that's about a hundred people. And, um, um, they all meet, they all kind of do their own thing. We don't tell them what curriculum to, to use or anything like that. So they, they meet at their own times, wherever they want to meet and do whatever they want to do. And, and, um, and then they come back, we come back together like once a month and do what we call a collective where we're all together. And it's like, Oh, cool. There's like diversity and there's other things going on and helps us not to lose heart for what we're called to do. And, um, yeah. And so we just hired a couple of staff people. Um, Michael Curtis is, uh, he's a local audio engineer, works for a production company, but he's also going to be overseeing the services that we do. So that's training a lot things like, um, helping people figure out their calling or, um, helping people understand, build a framework for poverty or whatever kind of the needs are that our micro churches say there are. He puts those things together. Meg Meredith, which I know you guys have referenced her in your podcast before and did a story night with her. She's our lead storyteller, which is an unorthodox first position to hire for. But because of our name, because, because of our literally name. called narrative <laughs> and because of our structure, we have to ha we have to be telling stories really well just amongst each other mm -hmm. just to see what God is doing like amidst all of this but also um she's going to be kind of stepping out and trying to create and be a part of what's already going on things like trike theater but also being a starting kind of a storytelling community um in Bentonville so we'll be looking for some of that stuff um we're subleasing from a little church in on the square Christ the King Lutheran we have a couple of offices there and that's kind of our training hub. And we've, um, really enjoyed that. And hopefully that facility is, uh, something that we can be in for a long time. Um, and so, yeah, man, that's it. Now is, are those resources and whatnot just available to those a part of narrative or is it meant to be outside of narrative as well? Yeah, no. So it's not just for like those who are, it's not just for those who are in narrative. Now we're working on a website and, you know, ways for people kind of outside to connect. Um, but narratives model is an opt-in model. So we say, Hey, here is what we believe doctrinally. Um, here is a manifesto. That's our value system. Like these are the things that like we're nailing to the, to the door and saying like, this is who we are and what we're doing. And, um, if you opt into those things and you say, okay, I'm willing to align and kind of be a part of what narrative is doing, then we've got, then our resources are for you. You know, if you're coming in from the outside, um, and you want to take a, take advantage of that stuff, then we're going to have an opportunity, you know, to serve you with again, financial grants or other kind of resources or training, coaching, whatever you need, um, to be good news, do good news for the city in the name of Jesus. So can you, do you have those things in your mind that you could run through for us in case there's someone or a group out there that is interested in this? Could you run through maybe some of those things like the manifesto and kind of share what some of that stuff is? Yeah. Perhaps? Um, 
the manifesto has like 18 things to it, but some of those are, of course, Jesus. Um, the poor um, is something that, that is a big time value of ours. The empowerment of every person, things we've already been talking about. Contextualization, okay? Um, so it's not, everybody's not a cookie cutter repli replicate of each other, but we're contextualizing. Where do we live? Where do we work? Where do we play? Um, and, and seeing different churches and ministries kind of come out of that, um, justice, like we just, we just think the way of Jesus is the answer to justice, um, is the solution to the needs of the world. So there's, a, there's a lot of those, uh, things in our manifesto, but doctrinally speaking, we, um, we align with something called the Luzan covenant. It's actually a document that is used all over the world. Um, and, uh, you can, Google that. I don't even know how you spell it. There are some basics of that. I'm not yeah. familiar. So we expect you to know it word for word. <laughs> Do you not have like a constitution just... song that you sing <laughs> losing doctrinal statement along with? Uh, it, it's, it doesn't really land in one denomination like Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, or anything like that. But it just, it's like the most beautiful document that I've seen that really is for like every people group, every tribe all over the world can really ascribe to these. These are like the core tenets of what it means to be Christian. This is what we believe about God, about Jesus. This is what we believe about the Bible, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't get into a lot of the like very specific things that create these different denominations. Okay. Not a lot of minutia. Yeah. To yeah. It. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Could you talk about like some of the training that maybe you uh -huh. narrative is working toward or yeah. things that might be coming up that, uh, people might be interested in yeah. hearing about? Absolutely. Well, um, you know, one of the things that we're really focusing on this year is again, understanding poverty and understanding like there are ways that we think we're helping, but is actually hurting. There's actually a book called helping that hurts, you know? Um, and so there's an education piece to that. So we're going to be providing some things like we're going to go through some books. We're going to bring some people like Jenny story from hub of hope and uh, Stephanie Moss from serve NWA. They are very, very like hands are getting dirty and understanding the needs of what's going on here. And like the outcast, the marginalized, the poor and the needy, we're going to bring them in and we'll do some, um, training nights and things. So we're wanting to train in that area. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing that we're getting going is something called the calling lab, which is just, some people just don't even know, they don't understand that they have a calling. They don't understand that there is, there are things like the way that they've been made in their personality or their gifts or their passions, um, or even just like the context in which they've been put in that they have a calling and we want to help people recognize what that is. And then once you have that, it's like, okay, what do I do with it? And so, uh, we have a process that is like, okay, we're going to take you from quadrant one where you're trying to figure that out to, okay, now what do you do with it? Okay. So let's just go try something and let's fail a bunch of times together. And that's okay until something sticks. And then now this is like, oh, this isn't just like a little thing. Like this is becoming something bigger. It might turn into a ministry or a nonprofit it might be a church. And so we just kind of have these like we call them like, it's just kind of like quadrants, like blocks where it's like, okay, step one, step two, step three, step four. Uh, but it's not, 
it's not very linear or up and to the right. It's kind of like up, way down, up a little bit, down again, up, way, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, because that's not, it's not easy, man. You know, like you got to fail a bunch um, to uh, to just see one thing stick, you know. Yeah, I when you talked about the poverty piece, um, you considering like, okay, there's this book that is maybe like a tries to be like a one size fits all when helping hurts. Like you have that, but then also bringing people from the community who are addressing the specific needs of this community who have like worked in, um, poverty, uh, solutions Mm -hmm. that are specific to Fayetteville, Bentonville, Mm -hmm. Bella Vista, Centerton, whatever. Um, that sort of thing I, in my mind is really important because you can't try to use a one size fits all for some of this stuff, because like knowing how like the specifics of legislation in an area or, you know, economics of an area affects everything, anything. And so I think that's like really neat to hear you talk about like bringing these people in to teach for us, yeah. what is a solution yes. that we can pursue? Absolutely. So we're yeah. helping again. Empowerment and contextualization is part of our manifesto. It's not providing the roadmap. We're mm-hmm. not telling you like do A plus B and this equals C. We're trying to tell you our, our our faith. You know, says that like you have the spirit of God in you. Listen to that. Like listen to that and answer that. We're going to just try to help you figure out what that is instead of franchising something, you know, instead of, again, like we're kind of used to in the traditional church structure, we're going to say, okay, here's what we need to be doing. Now everybody sign up and fill a gap, mm-hmm. you know, and the, the empowerment of, of women in the church, um, at least in my back background of church, that's just kind of been like paralyzing to say like it's really a man's world and if you're a woman then you can you can sing or you can serve in children's ministry or you can lead women's ministry and like that's it um giving that a voice too and that may be foreign to anybody somebody that's listening to this and just like I have no idea what you're talking about that's just because you haven't been a part of a very conservative evangelical background like I have and I love and respect in some ways but there are other ways that I think has been just really abused and hurtful that's a rock that we mm. have been trying to mm-hmm. remove. And so giving women like that voice and empowering them um, in the church is a really important thing for us too. Sorry, mm-hmm. I didn't mean to get off on a tangent there, but that's great. That's good stuff. Wrapping up, how can people reach out to you if they want to take advantage of the resources or be a part of narrative? And also what, I guess, if this episode wasn't enough, what would your <laughs> invitation be? Yeah. to anybody listening that yeah. is curious about narrative. Man, it, it, this has just kind of been like this underground, just secret thing. We don't have a sign anywhere. Even the people in narrative did, don't know we have a website. <laughs> yeah, whenever I, whenever I see the narrative logo, I'm confused again <laughs> because I'm like, oh, that's, oh, we have Wait. a logo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... um it's it's a little bit obscure in that, but still, but it's beautiful because 
I know that every person that shows up to something that I've never met before is connected to a person, right? Um, so it's all built in relationship. And so I say that to say like, you've never seen our sign. You've never, you've probably never heard of this before. And to say, okay, how do we get involved? Is like, well, I guess like reach out to Peyton and Zach cause they're a part of narrative, you know? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, if you, if this, if you want to, you know, just have a deeper conversation about this and talk about it. My email is Jared J E R A D. Cause my dad didn't know how to spell at narrative city. Um, and I'd love to just sit down and have that conversation or, you know, I'm sure Peyton and Zach would love to have that conversation with you as well. So yeah, shoot me an email and, and we can have a conversation if that's the first step for you, but it's at, at, in its simplest form, just start recognize, like open up your eyes, invite different voices into your life. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, like, I mean, you have the best, you have the best news the world has ever heard. And it really is the, the solution to the world. Um, just start living that out. Just have a conversation with somebody. Just Put yourself in a place and and build a reputation and don't just don't either don't sh don't be afraid or ashamed of that, but but also the opposite of that is hurtful too is to just kind of go up to somebody don't even think about who they are as a person and just kind of like smack them alongside the head with some religious belief that you have. The hard work is what Jesus did, which was go and s just build a reputation with people, love on people who are unloved. Um, that would be another invitation is just like, look for somebody who is an outcast. Look for someone. Uh, we tell our kids, we have a manifesto as a family. And one of those things is to love wide. Like, don't just love the things that's easy for you, but like, just spread that out. Like who doesn't get love and just meet a need, you know, have a, have a freaking conversation with somebody, share your story, hear someone else's story. Um, I think that's just going to go, you know, a long ways, you know, for our, for our community. And uh, I know you guys are big proponents of, of that, um, diversity and shared thought. So you guys are doing a great job by the way. Hey, Hey, freaking NWA, man, <laughs> got to hear about it in its origin days and just see what you guys are doing, man. Like, I love it. We appreciate Keep that. Keep rocking it. We appreciate that a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thanks a ton for the encouragement, and thanks a ton for supporting us along the way, and thanks mm -hmm. for a ton for letting us interview you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We appreciate it. Love you too. Love you, Jared. <laughs> oh no! Ow, ow. Now that's in there. Ah. I think that after this interview, I think that people that want to be a part of narrative and people that don't, or maybe not even uh, want to be a part of the, uh, the faith can learn a lot from Jared and his perspective on community. Mm -hmm. I find it very, very powerful to listen to other people's stories as, you know, we showcase in Hey, Hey, NWA, that is the main motivator behind what we're doing. We're right. Highlighting stories. We're listening to other perspectives in order to just learn more about our community and have more empathy for those around us and learned about, learn about some of the issues that play in our own community. Yeah, and if people are especially put off by like the Christian aspect of this, 
Like, I think you can hear in what he says, like, if you remove the Christian element from it, you're still left with, like, significant ways to affect your community in, in, like, usable, actionable stuff. You know, you don't have to have, if you're, like, not a religious person, like, you can still use some of these things that Jared was talking about in creating and networking communities. Absolutely. So now that we're done with the narrative piece, Zach, let's move on to our Ozark superstition. Yes. Yeah, superstition. Maybe that could be uh, our theme song for this. Probably Ozarks not. are the walls. <laughs> Ozarks are the walls. Yeah. I stand uh, by it. Okay. So the title of this Ozark superstition um, is called Witches and How to Become One. I'm excited. Um, which I we've seen several features from the devil um, in these Ozark superstition episodes. Um, the devil's peripheral to this story, sto- stories, um, but we're really going to focus on the um, women who bring the power of the devil into our neighborhoods and cities. I'm really excited for the juxtaposition between just talking about um, a Christian faith community and talking about a witch faith community. Yes. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we've talked before about how people think about their crops and their household superstitions or whatnot and how people kind of abide by these things. And they're really willing to talk about uh, a lot of these superstitions pretty openly and frankly. Um, according to Vance Randolph, uh, if someone brings up witches around Ozark people who lived in the 1930s and 40s, they shut up. They You can talk to them about anything superstitious. Uh, water witches, which are like people who hunt water. They're not actually witches. They find wells aquifers, different things. Um, you can talk to them about mountain medicine. You can talk to them about, um, the Zodiac, like we talked about last week, whatever. Um, but the minute someone brings up witches, everybody kind of shuts their mouths. Interesting. Yeah. And the reason's not because they don't have anything to say about it. The reason is because all of them believe so much that witches exist, um, in their area of the world Um, they're actually kind of afraid that like when we talk about household superstitions, yeah, they're fun and they're enjoyable and they may have some usefulness, but you don't want to mess with conversations around witches because it's real and it's dangerous. Should we be talking about witches right now? Um, kind of afraid. We will find out along the way. Okay. Um, I will say there, this will have... Um, some adult content to it, so just be aware if you're listening. There's, there's going to be some adult content. Fair. Anyway, moving on before we get into it. Okay, so we're going to start with a quote from what Vance Rand- Randolph calls a solid citizen of Little Rock, Arkansas. A solid citizen. I'm not sure what that references. Um, just a normal, just like real solid run of the mill, real solid dude. Um, in reference to witches, uh, this is what this man says. He says that every good Christian must believe in witchcraft. 
Okay, interesting. Uh, strong start. Uh, quote, it's just like John Wesley said, he told me, quote, if you give up witches, you might as well throw away your Bible. Huh. Interesting. Um, and John Wesley said that? I guess so. Wow. Evidently, John Wesley, founder of the Methodist faith, um, said, if you don't believe in witches, you might as well just throw away your Bible. Wow. Um, and they Prominent ref- figure of the Great Awakening. <laughs> One of America's Great Awakenings. <laughs> yes. Decides. Yeah. It's, wow. So that's interesting. Um, this man, this solid citizen of Little Rock, Arkansas, also has some words for um, the youngins. Um, he says, quote, the young folks live too fast and heedless. More than half of them are bewitched anyhow, so they don't care what happens. It looks like the devil's got the country by the tail on a, down, on a downhill pool. Okay, since half of the people are apparently bewitched, I'm starting half of to... The, half of the young people. Half of the young people. They don't care. I'm starting to get a muddled view of what bewitched actually is. Right, so I think that it's important that we give definition to what we talk about when we're talking about witches. Um, Because as I mentioned earlier, there are water witches, which are distinct and different from witches. Um, And there's a couple of other things also that are supernatural women, clairvoyance and otherwise, that are not witches that we are okay with, even though they sort of can do similar things. Okay. So uh, according... To Vance Randolph, a witch, quote, a witch, according to my informants, is a woman who has had dealings with the devil and thereby acquired some supernatural powers and who uses these powers to bring evil upon her neighbors. Um, Then he goes on to list some exceptions to the rule, like naming specific people from these communities that he's visited um, that newspapers have called out as witches. Um, And he says... No, they're not really witches. He says, um, these people were, quote, clairvoyants, fortune tellers, seers, mystics, purveyors of medical advice, seekers of lost property, but they are certainly not witches. Okay, so there's a difference between, I guess, my standard definition of a witch and this Right, I, I think the two parts that are important are purveyor of the dark arts, dealings with the devil, um, and the second part being intent to do harm to others. Okay. So, and they don't find missing things. And apparently, or maybe they do find missing things, but they didn't in to hurt, evil way. Yeah. To hurt your neighbors with, mm-hmm. um, so Vance Randolph, um, said he interviewed more than a score of witches. Uh, he says that he, Interviewed 24 so-called witches. They were called that by their neighbors. Um, He says that three were just kind of crazy, like kind of um, mentally not all there, mentally unstable. Um, But he said the other 21 uh, who are not lunatics, as he called them, not a great way to name mentally handicapped people, these other 21 said, yes, we are witches, but we fight evil. Okay. Um, so they, you wouldn't even call these people like clairvoyants or purveyors of medical advice, seekers of lost property, that sort of thing. They have a different name even. So we're working on 
witches being one category, bad witches being one category. Then you have like these clairvoyants and whatnot that are mystical, but not witches. That's the second category. And now we have white witches, which are witches who uses who use their powers for good. So I forget what direction it is, but it's like Wizard of Oz, the the witch of the east. Wicked Witch of the West. No, so that's the evil one. Uh-huh. But then there's like a Gal- witch. Uh, Galinda the Good Witch. Yes. So, so those those are those witches. If I'm allowed to draw that conclusion. I, from I guess so. Wizard yes. of Oz. Thank you. Um, I'm not sure how much Kansas dream fugue state of a child gets transferred into Ozark folklore or vice versa. Who knows? So anyway, so these 21 white witches... It says their main business is the removal of spells and curses put on their clients by supernatural means. So real like witches, witches would create these curses and put them on people. And these white witches would step in and remove the curses. And that was their business. That was their job, uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, a firefighter. Somebody, right. Somebody has a fire and then you put it out. Yes. But it's also like if those firefighters were also outcast widows in their society that People hate it. Womp womp. Strange, yes. Um, they they weren't just called white witches. Um, they were called witch masters, witch doctors, faith doctors, goomer doctors, and conjure folks. Conjure folks. Conjure okay. folks is fun. Um, so you kind of have a couple different categories. Um, but when we think about witches, the bad witches... Um, that most people were referencing and afraid of, uh, like we were talking about earlier, um, there were specific ways that it was understood in the, like, it was broadly understood, like, this is how someone becomes a witch. And so there were, like, theories floating around, and we'll get to, like, a very specific one at the end. Um, But I'm going to read some of the ideas that people had about how people became witches. So, Professor A.W. Breeden, um, remember, educated person, professor, uh, was raised near Galena, Missouri, and he said that, quote, a woman had only to fire a silver bullet at the moon and mutter two or three obscene old sayings, and that's how they became a witch. Um, others said that you had to re- repeat the Lord's Prayer backwards. It's uh, tough. I'd have to write that one out. Yeah, Uh it goes back to like the Van Halen back masking of Stairway mm-hmm. to Heaven type mm-hmm. stuff, um, but predates Stairway to Heaven by, oh, 40 or 50 years. Um, so it was also said, so these obscene old sayings that I mentioned a second ago um, were these conjure words, and you had to learn these conjure words from someone of the opposite sex. Um and you also had to be either blood relative with the person who taught them to you, or you had to be like sexually involved with that person. Okay. Um, so if you were just taught it by someone of the same sex, or if you weren't blood related, like these conjure words didn't transfer to this next person. Mm-hmm. They also had a concept that some people were carriers of these conjure words, but not like users they were just transmitters of these words so like for example a mother could teach conjure words to her son who never acted upon these words he could then teach his wife 
these conjure words and she could become a witch because because these conjure words carried power from the son and back to the mother hmm. um, what a even weird though the stipulation what a strange stipulation um this is a lot of fun i really enjoy this Quote, a pious Baptist lady in McDonald County, Missouri, once denounced a school marm because the children were taught to shout their multiplication tables backwards as well as forward. Quote, it's plum risky, and there ought to be a law against it. Learn them gals to say their arithmetic backwards today, and they'll be saying something else backwards tomorrow. So you have 16 the... <laughs> is four times four. Oh no. <laughs> yes. What? But it's, it's this weird, um, it's superstition, right? It's this idea that you can embed something in someone without their knowledge. Um, like something's dangerous about trying to teach someone one times one, one times two, one times three up to nine times nine, and then teaching them nine times nine, back down to one times one. Oh, like, yeah, it's, but it's this weird sense of like, you can like secretly embed. And that's how back masking is. You can secretly embed a message in someone. If you just phrase it the right way or arrange it the right way or, uh, communicate it to them in some way, because somehow your subconscious can pick up on, oh, we're doing this forwards and backwards. Now I'll do the Lord's Prayer forwards and backwards. Or my subconscious picks up um, sad Satan from Stairway to Heaven, you know? Um, And it's all in the subconscious mind, and who knows what the subconscious mind can do. That's interesting. So it's said that virgins are especially susceptible to bedevilment, but they can't really become, quote, genuine witches, um, because they lack a certain aspect of what a real witch has, um, they still uh, have their virginity. Um, so something else to remember about like young women in witchery, you think of like books like The Crucible, where there are these young women who are like going out into the woods and acting funny and stuff and um, people calling them witches. But like in Ozark understandings, like young women just could not be witches. Um, they said that one young lady was said to speak the devil's language, um, but everyone doubted her real witchery, uh, because she was only 17. Um, even though she spoke the devil's language or whatever, um, quote, a woman can do the devil's work and practice the infernal arts in a small way without any ceremony, but to attain her full power, she must be formally initiated into the sinister sisterhood. Hmm. Sinister sisterhood. There it is. What in the world? I love it. I love that phrasing. I don't. I don't know if that's just Vance Randolph's phrasing, but I. It seems so. It seems like a great band name. It does seem like a great band name uh, from the '80s. I think we've missed the train. Um, and now uh, we've arrived at the actual formal practice of how to become a witch. Okay. We've talked about some of the trappings of it and who can and who can't and um, some ideas in the culture about what it was. Um, but now here, uh, <laughs> um, Vance Randolph has transcribed for us um, the correct and orderly way to become a witch. So I'm just going to read this uh, whole thing. Um and I'll let you 
comment on it after we get done. And I've got a short kind of com- comedic anecdote whenever we get done. Quote, when a woman decides to become a witch, according to the fireside legends, she repairs to the family burying ground at midnight in the dark of the moon. Beginning with a verbal renunciation of the Christian religion, she swears to give herself body and soul to the devil. She removes every stitch of clothing, which she hangs on an infidel's tombstone. Interesting. And delivers her body immediately to the devil's representative, that is, to the man who is inducting her into the mystery, quote, unquote, mystery. The sexual acts completed, both parties repeat certain old sayings, terrible words which assemble devils and the spirits of the evil dead and end by reciting the Lord's Prayer backwards. This ceremony is supposed to be witnessed by at least two initiates, also nude, and must be repeated on three consecutive nights. After the first and second vows, the candidate is still free to change her mind, but the third pledge is final. Henceforth, the woman is a witch and must serve her new master throughout all eternity. Wow. What an elaborate way to become a witch. Also, um, three nights in a row, that sounds awful. Three nights in a row, you must return to the cemetery, get naked, Hang your clothes on an infidel's tombstone. How do you even assess? What does like, that even mean? Is that properly labeled? Is, yeah, I think. Like, I, hey, I, I was an infidel. That was that's their tagline. Yeah, it says. Yeah, it says loving father, brother, infidel, <laughs> on any and every infidel's tombstone. Um, so, but hey, you know, to get into the sinister sisterhood, it's like getting into a sorority or fraternity. Yeah, you have rush week. You stay up very late. You do some things you're probably not proud of. And then you're in it. And And everyone's naked, apparently. Apparently. Um, Anyway, evidently one night um, in our own backyard in northwest Arkansas, a group of drunken young people suddenly decided to dance naked by the roadside. It was a mere accident that this lewd frolic was staged at the entrance to a cemetery. The incident had no connection with witchcraft. But there was this thing that came out of Northwest Arkansas where these naked teenagers probably were dancing near a cemetery. Someone thought it was witchcraft um, and an Illinois magazine or newspaper called it the Witch's Sabbath. All because kids were having a lewd frolic. The thing is that... that almost described the beginning of a scary movie. You know, like there's this folklore behind on how to be a witch. And then, you know, these drunken college age kids are like, let's just dance naked in a cemetery. And then all of a sudden, boom, they all become witches. And it's a scary movie. Which is kind of how the crucible starts. Like the whole conceit of the crucible is like that. These young women just wanted to like, not be in this restrained society. And so they went to the woods and started dancing around, around a fire and people assumed that they were witches. Like, mm-hmm. and it, all it was, was them just wanting to like cut loose, cut loose, hang with my girls, hang with, hang your with girls. my sisterhood, jump around a bonfire bunch. Anyway, I do think it's unfair that, um, the only witches are women, you know? Well, you can be a carrier. If you'd like, it's a, not as exciting. A transmitter of conjuring words, uh, Peyton. 
if you would like to do that. But that is the only purpose you serve here. Well, shoot, my boy. Um, you can just be a transmitter of of words of a bunch of hoopla. Yeah. I yes. Don't even know what these words would be, but interesting. Thank you for informing me on Ozark witches and that sinister sisterhood. Yep. I will say that you can't be a part of narrative uh, if you are uh, active witch. This is um, true. You have to renounce the Christian religion um, and say Lord's Prayer back- backwards. Um, and if you can do that, like pretty accurately, you might just want to take that show on the road. Cause if anybody could just like say words backwards and then it would come out forwards, if you reversed it, that's a pretty neat trick for three uh, nights in a row for three nights in a row. Um, I think you should just, uh, cash in and that's your new career is just saying things backwards to impress small crowds. Okay. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed such a stark dichotomy between <laughs> our interview and Ozark Superstition. But if you like us and you haven't followed us already, on most social media media platforms, we are HeyHeyNWA. But on Instagram, we are HeyHeyNWA Podcast. So that includes Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and the like. And you can go to our Patreon page if you'd like to donate, which is patreon.com forward slash HeyHeyNWA. And I think we should start talking about we're going to be a part of a music festival we are in april we uh last night just had our investors party um which was pretty slick and we got to hang out with a bunch of the musicians some of them you've heard on this podcast will gunzelman emily nance are both going to be a part of it and it is called limelight music festival and it's hosted by bentonville brewing company who's also been on the podcast who's also been on the podcast it's going to be a great day uh, hearing all of them perform the other night was fantastic and it got me super jazzed for this festival i i love all their music and you're gonna be really impressed with what you see yeah we'll talk more about that in the future we'll have an episode coming out where we just talk about the festival um but be looking forward to that go check out uh the website check out tickets um see if that's something you'd be interested in um and come hang out with your boys because we are emceeing this event and Um, tickets are only ten dollars for general admission that's super cheap it is super cheap so there's no reason not to come and at least see a one or two acts yeah for sure get some beer kick it be nice good day anyway so with that uh we're gonna let you go um and i just want to say don't play backwards don't play backwards (laughs) zach was just saying mama jumbo he doesn't have a road show of saying things backwards unfortunately i guess we'll have to find out if that's actually anything all right. <laughs> We're done. I but I but.